Um, and now I'm also thinking no, no that my wife's father um, was nifter last Wednesday evening and my wife's still sitting shiva I'm going to share you some thoughts about him uh, I think of the, the crowd that's sitting in the room most of you never, probably never even met him um, it wasn't so well the last he had a curious coming here for Shuas for the last Last year, not, uh, but uh, before that, for about almost 20 years. Um, those who met him in the yeshiva would see uh, a sweet gentleman who would, who would say hello to you and ask you, could try and ask you questions about you if you would, if you would introduce yourself. Um, those who would come to us for a pseudo would hear somebody who would be asking a lot of questions and getting into a good fight and learning. Um, but there's a lot more to him than that, and I think that I would put put, put down three memorial chazal, which would I think help me understand him. So the first one is a gemara in Shabbos, a base. And the gemara says, "Amar Rava, the Rachim Rabbanon Habalu Benin Rabbanon, person who loves to be chachamim, is to have children which are to be chachamim." Actually, it says because he has Abba for Tamir Chachamim, so he's to have a child, just like he loves him like a father loves a child, if he's to have a child who's a Tamil Chacham. Uh, the gifts which you have in the Gemara is the Mokar and those who have respect and appreciate the Tamir Chachamim, Havalu Chasnabasa Rabbanon, they have sons in law which are Tamir Chachamim. And the Dachim Rabbanon that he has an awe of Tamir Chachamim, who goofy the heavy Tamir Rabbanon. He himself becomes a Tzimur Rabbanon, not a Talmud Chacham necessarily, but he becomes a Talmud, a, ta- a Talmud of the Chachamim. The Elab or Hachiv, it's not possible for him to do that. Who? Mishtoy Milei Kitzimur Rabbanon. He's echad that when he says something, the weight which is given to it, the advice that he gives, the mentoring which he does, is appreciated as if he would be a Talmud Chacham. Uh, the going changes the girsa. So we have Rachim Rabbanon has children which are Rabbanon. Moiker Rabbanon he has sons of law which are Rabbanon. And he's Dachim Rabbanon he becomes a, becomes Rabbanon. Um, the going changes the girsa and he says Rachim Rabbanon has Benin which are Rabbanon. He's Dachim Rabbanon then he has sons of law which are Rabbanon. And he's Moiker Rabbanon so then he's like to, he, he himself should become a sermon Rabbanon. Sermon Rabbanon is used in Shas to mean a young Tamachachim. Um, as opposed to a fully accomplished, developed Tamachachim, he's, he's in the process of, of growing, but he has the mile of being a Tamachachim, of a person who's learning Torah. That's one Chazal. Uh, there's a Mishnah, Sethus Kinnam, the last Mishnah, Sethus Kinnam, Seder Kachim. Shemen Rakashim, Zikne Amayoritz, Kozman Shemaskin, and Daitan Mitoref is a lion. The Zikta Amoritz, the older they get, the more their das. Similarly, the, the simple type means it gets gets confused. Shenemar Mesa Sofal and Amonim, the Tamza Kenim Yikach. Abazita Tara in a cane, Kosman Shemaskinim, Daitan Misia Shabbos Alein, Shenemar Bishishim Chokma, Berach Yamim Tabuna. So they're, 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 they settle, they become more settled. So simple touch means that, that there's like to have a clarity with them all the way to the end. And uh, Zitam Ortz is not like that. So the, the Joshua's are on, on this Gemara, quotes this Gemara in one of the Joshua's, and he says that it can't keep, be understood, 
Because Nebuch, we see Tzimini Chachamim, which they, they have dementia, their, their minds are not settled. And you, you find out more, it's, you know, the guy's 95 years old and he still quotes you all the, the baseball statistics. Your mind's totally clear, you know. Right? With his things. So what does it mean? So, so it means something else totally. He says, people make decisions when they're younger. And uh, those decisions have a tremendous impact on where they're going to go in life and what they're going to do in life. And sometimes it's not clear that those are the, those are the right decisions. As a matter of fact, sometimes a person might even feel he made a mistake. But the Tamil Hukaman make the right decisions in the youth, even though in the youth they're not convinced that maybe it was the right path, it was a difficult path, and maybe they should have done something else. The older they get, the more that thought settles. Is it them or it's they make decisions when to not pursue a path of Torah mitzvahs? And they're very happy with it. It allows them to take advantage of this world, etc. But the older they get, the less happy they are. So their diet on their decision is mitzvahs. It bangs on them. It, it starts, they wonder, why did I do this? Uh, that's the second member. And the third one is a Renayano in Sharsheni. And so the Benyamin Shasheni says, goes through six things which cause a person to do tshuva. Okay, so there are hashishis. This is Kashayishma Musar, Chachamim, a person hears Musar, Yakshiv, he listens, Vishma, and he hears it, Vayikama, and he humbles himself, Vayakshu, Bachuva, he does tshuva. The Kabbalah called Dirat Chachachachach, and he accepts the point. So you got a daughter me the ram and he list he takes takes the things totally. In one moment he's changed his life. Because he's made a decision to accept the message. He's he's taking their direction. So, the Lord, so he says, also be able to have a He becomes a different person. He is given this reward as if he's done it already. He says, they're told to bring the go prepare for the carbon Pesach. They went. The verse says, They had it on the 14th. Okay. So, um, my father was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1924. At the age of two, his family, his parents were born European. They came to America with the hope to better their financial situation. Uh, they moved to Washington, D.C., and they opened a small grocery store in Washington, D.C., and in a neighborhood which my father-in-law would describe was that if you, were, if you weren't willing to fight and get into get get down a real with your fists, you didn't survive. So it wasn't for the nicest neighborhoods. Um, and he says that he used to sometimes defend other Jewish boys, you know, girls. You know, he would he would get he would get into, get into the fights. Um, they the store was open on Shabbos. They'd make kiddush in the, in the back of the the store. They lived in the back of the store. The store was open on Shabbos. He had a bar mitzvah. He put on tefillin. He put on tefillin every single day. He, when he was enlisted in the navy in 1943, he took a tefillin with him, and he put on tefillin until some point during the process. His tefillin, because of the sea air, etc., they turned green, and that was the end of his tefillin. 
Um, but they weren't Shemesh Shabbos. Uh, came back from the Navy. He had no really way out to get out. The, the, the American government developed the, the GI Bill, and he was able to go to college. He met, my, met my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was, you know, was, if we, those of you know my mother-in-law, was, it was a Pliatsuma. They were married for 65 years. Uh, east meets West. She was uh, a partisan during the war from the Polish, the Polish part of Lithuania. Um, person fought in the partisans, traveled on top of trains, smuggled through the Alps, you know, fascinating woman. Um, different worlds, they met and they got married. My mother-in-law lost all of her family in the war, except for one brother. And my son, Elazar, is named after Uncle Elazar. Uncle Elazar was a Tamachacham. And my Shmir's regards for him was bordered on awe. It was love, it was respect, and it was awe. And what Uncle Elazar said went. So when my oldest brother-in-law became time that he should uh, go to school, Uncle Elazar said he should go to the Hebrew Academy, he went to the Hebrew Academy. All his friends told him that he's crazy. This is this is the end of the end of the fifties. Public school was fine. There was no problem in the public school. There was no cost of tuition. Everything was free. Mishmir made a decision of you going. He was Mishmir was a very elegant person. He's going to pay as much as he can in tuition. Mishmir lived in a house. The total square footage of the first floor was about one sixth of this space medrash. Um, and that's being probably probably being generous. Um, and, the, and the bottom, the, uh, when he bought it, there was the basement was an unfinished basement. He finished it himself because he says that he liked doing things himself. He couldn't afford to have any other way to upsize that. Um, when he had to buy, a, he had to buy a car, so he had to take the kids' bank accounts that they got in presents and use that as collateral to borrow the money from the bank. He had no money. My brother went to went there to to learn. They needed a seven hundred dollar deposit. He had to borrow money for the seven hundred dollar deposit. That's the level of that they that limitations that they had. His friends, no problems with tuition. They saved money. They bought nice houses in Potomac. Like that was a thing in those days. Get out of this neighborhood, buy houses and big houses in Potomac. Nice cars, new cars. My friend drove his, his, the car was like. Each car, all the family lore about the, the, the stories about the cars, you know, they're much more excited than the new ones, I have to tell you. There are a lot of good stories about them, how they broke down over here and did this over there, made this noise, you pulled this string, you know, etc. You know. So uh, that was the decision that he made, because that's what, that's what Uncle Lazar said. My brother comes home in first grade, and he says to my father in law, says, Why don't we keep Shabbos? They had a Shabbos party that week in school. We don't keep Shabbos. Why don't we keep Shabbos? She said he thought about it. And he says, I never got an answer. Why don't we keep Shabbos? So we're keeping Shabbos. So decision number one that he made was to send, his, send with all the difficulty involved, to send his children for their education. Decision number two, to take, to take the, the Muslim Shmuz out of a, out of a six-year-old we need to keep Shabbos. He was reading that. He was reading those of you who might have ever heard of Herman Walk's book, uh, This Is My God. An Orthodox Jew wrote a book about uh, to explain Yiddishkeit to the, to the American public. 
He used to live in, actually used to live in D.C. Uh, my father knew him. And it, was, it made a profound impact on him. And he decided they're keeping Shabbos. Moved into a neighborhood. They moved out of the neighborhood. They were in the D.C. They moved into a neighborhood. They, uh, there was a rub. Rabbi Gogner, all those of them. Those of you know, Nazi Gross, Zamar Orchestra, his grandfather, his mother's father, Rabbi Bogner. If you walk into Ezra's Israel, the name of the show was Ezra's Israel. If you ever go to Ezra's Israel in Rockville, ever hear of it? Every um, Kreiser Shul. You see a big plaque for Rabbi Bogner. That's, you go to Young Israel, Ezra's Israel, Potomac, you'll see a big plaque for Rabbi Bogner. Rabbi Bogner was his rub. Rabbi Bogner had a tremendous influence on him. But he was a fascinating person. Uh, he, was, he, was, he had a PhD in psychology. He opened up the first Orthodox halfway house in the country. Uh, he studied psychology under Freud in Vienna. Um, he was with Ted with the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the Sorbonne for a period of time in Paris. Uh, he was from Vienna originally, and he had smicha from some very, very chashtimicha common. And he was a brilliant person, and my Rebbe, who was quite brilliant himself, would love to talk to him. There was a person in the neighborhood, uh, some people know Joey Orlo, his father Ted, my father-in-law, were best friends. Best friends mean that they would they would argue, debate, discuss, philosophize, halacha, hashkafa, hours and hours and hours upon every whenever they met, and that's what they did. Right? One of my friends' best friends at work was a son of a uh, uh, minister, and they would again they would sit there and they would discuss and they would philosophize at work. The two of them together, you know, when they had free, had free time. Meshire was not a big fan of, of mingling with, with non-Jews, even in the early years. They had influences on you, but this person was a very early person. He was impressed with him, and he had a relationship with him. So years go on, years go on, and you know, he still has not, never learned Gomorrah in his life. He never opened the Gomorrah. But, um, his father passes away right before the remits of, of his second son. So he comes to Shul every day to say Kaddish. And not for the Ahmed. He wasn't really so proficient in reading Hebrew. But he said Kaddish. He asked Ray Bogner one time, towards the end of the year, so when do I have to stop coming? When, when can I stop coming to Shul? So Ray Bogner says to him, You know, Mr. Rosen, it would be a tremendous exclusive to your father's Neshama if you continue to come even after the 11 months are up. So that was it. He started coming every day. Coming every day, when he eventually moved out of Silver Spring, and he was in Baltimore, he was still working in downtown Washington, in Virginia, Northern Virginia, he would get up at 3.30 to 4 o'clock in the morning to make sure he did not miss Minion. He would drive her for Minion, because he cannot miss Minion. For over 40 years, he didn't miss Minion, because the rub said you have to come to Minion. So one time, the rub said one thing, one time, and that changed his life again. He once told Roy, I was there when he said it to Sir Bogner, you created a monster. I can't miss Minion. I, I can't miss. And, and, and being the Minion meant being on time. And being in the Minion also meant that if there was difficulty with the Minion, he would make the phone calls the night before to make sure there was a Minion. Because you, you have to have a Minion. It was a responsibility. The shul slowly dies out as the neighbor dissipates and he uh, starts stopping in Woodside. On Shabbos, so Woodside was a 45-minute walk. 
So part of the walk, the walk back every every Shabbos, the walk back meant that they would cause over Rabbi Breidelitz's drasha. He and his wife, and the other, they would review it together. Each one reminded them of what you know, what the different points. Those who ever heard of Rabbi Breidelitz's drasha, he spoke about an average of 20, 25 minutes, and he said about forty million things during those twenty-five minutes. Um, he threw the whole culture at you, and then you would try and remember it on the way home. When the kid, when the grandchildren would come, he would do it with the grandchildren. Right, the way back, you know, and he's very proud that they they, they remembered more of it they could, in a more clear order than he did sometimes. Uh, I, have very, I have some very smart nieces and nephews. Um, one of the members of the shul there one day says, you know, says to my father-in-law, he's now at the age of sixty. My father-in-law was, was ninety-five when he passed when he passed away. He's now at the age of sixty. He says, "Why don't you come to Rabbi Rabbi's Gemara Shir?" Somebody invited him to the Shir. He says, "Oh, he's going to go." He never learned Gemara before in his life. He couldn't really read Aramaic. He couldn't really read Hebrew so well. Rabbi Rabbi's was saying the Shir. This is a high. It wasn't a good stuff. He was a Ian Shir, and he was the questions going back and forth, etc. So here's a person who's a brilliant person who's sitting in the chair. He does not follow one word. And my father was the type of person who every time he went through, he would, he, unless it was something which was, he was out of his element, he would ask, he would challenge, he wanted to understand, he wanted to know. He said, this, I said, I said Elliot, sit there without asking, saying a word. I don't know what he's talking about. He would go each week and he would write to take the back of checkbooks, the deposit slips, the back of the cancel checks, and he'd write down the words that he heard in English, transliterated. And then we had a Hrushashaft on the phone. And he would ask me what the words mean. Ask me what the words mean means he needed he needed to know exactly the exact translation of the word. That was number one. Because this way, when it comes up somewhere else in Shas, using a little bit different context, he'll know what the, he'll know exactly what the word means. Then he wanted to know how it was used in the context of the Gemara they were learning. So it's something that's a little bit different. There's a nuance there, the denotation and the connotation. It would then mean sometimes, okay, now what's the general point that the Gemara is talking about? And then, how are writers was talking about it? So every question, and we went through this list every week. From the list, I could tell you that he had no idea what this year was talking about at the beginning, for sure. And he persevered going to this year. Because he made a decision to go, he's going to go. He made his first seam on the Masef of Gemara. He was already over seven years old. He had eight seamen before he was Nifter. Um, and he came, he came in person talking how to learn. Remember saying how to learn? Because when he would learn a Gemara, even, now I have to take a backtrack. And we, you know, once I joined the family, so I had a little bit of background in halacha, so he like, wanted to understand halacha. The, the attitude of the family was thank you for teaching me a new halacha. And one time my son, it was at the age of, uh, I think, three or four, saw my mother-in-law doing something, says, Bubby, you know how to do that on Shabbos. I said, oh, thank you for telling me that. And she stopped doing it. Because it's actually teaching me Allah. I was from a four-year-old kid. Now, granted, he wasn't right in the psaq. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, you know, because I, you know, my wife told me after the story, I said, you know, there are some nuances that he missed. But you can be Michael, a four-year-old. <laughs> But the basic concept, he was right. He saw how we did it at home. And he was told one time he can't do that, so he understands he can't do that. He kept at it, but we would come for Yom Tif, we would come for Shabbos, 
you know, my family wasn't from so I came to him every Pesach, every Pesach, the first year not, we actually made Pesach in Cleveland, but after that, for years, we went to the Pesach in Masukas in the summer, I would walk in, you know, the, the, or the phone calls, so I was thinking about a question, what what's the luck over here, why is it like that, why not like this, why, why can't this be true, and he would ask me the questions again and again and again, he wasn't stupid, he was thinking about it again and again, so he would hear a thought and he would think about it, and he would chew it over slowly, again and again and again. And that's what we did with the Gemara, the questions of the words in the Gemara. He said, Daddy, we, we already had this word before, but I want to know exactly how it's being used over here. And this went on for years, until he became a person who was Zechot HaBnin Rabbanon and Chasin Rabbanon and Eil Lahavi Tzermer Rabbanon I wouldn't call him a Rabbanon, but Tzermer Rabbanon he was. And he definitely was destroyed Milik Tzermer Rabbanon. People used to come to him for Aitzis. A lot of people would discuss life issues with him. He had a tremendous amount of experience. Been through a lot in his life. And that was, he was Zechot to that. Some life lessons that I learned, with him, learned from him. Um, we got married, and uh, if you have to understand that I came, you know, whippersnapper, you know, young Tamakachim, thought I knew everything, you know, you know, this all bus, I have to teach him what's right and what's wrong, etc. And then we, the first few times, there definitely were some interfaces which were a little less than gentle, shall we say. So after one of those, one of those uh, experiences, uh, he said, Says he was in the navy. He was in the navy. He was in the South Pacific during the war. Um, so there's something in the navy called a shakedown cruise. Shakedown cruise is after you build a ship, you have to picture that building a ship. Some of these ships, you know, there, there are there are millions of parts in the ship. A large ship. There's there are how many how many nuts are there? How many bolts? How many washers? How many uh, pieces of metal? How many of this? Start thinking about what the, there is that could be wrong in the ship. So they take it out for a, for a cruise before they before they take it out, you know, for re, re, real usage to see if they can find the kinks. It's called a shakedown cruise. It says, Ellie, this is a shakedown cruise. This is not how our relationship is going to be. It's we're getting used to each other. It's okay. Don't don't get nervous that, that, that we started off on the wrong foot. It's, it's not going to. It'll settle down. And we had a wonderful relationship. But that was like he wasn't insulted by the fact that I, we had this difficulty and I wasn't giving him the proper COVID maybe and you know, and the, the get, that was it the, the tenor of the relationship is set we'll work it through, don't get nervous we married the second year we made Pesach, so he calls me up about four, four weeks before Yom Tov and he says to me that, I know you have certain Chumras, which we don't necessarily keep for Pesach I will honor every single Chumra that you want tell me whatever Chumras you want we will do Regards to the type of hexagram which we use for the, the items, how to cash the oven, whatever you want, we will do. But you have to tell me now, or you know, next few days. It says, but if it's not fair to mommy that she should prepare all the food, and we'll sit down to the seder, and you say you don't need that because you're machmer. So there's a, they, they have to be sensitive to her feelings. My mother-in-law, Lara Shalom, her hanoan life was feeding people. That was like, you know, that, that was. She didn't enjoy eating. She enjoyed watching you eat. Like, that was the Hanoa. She would serve, like... But my mother-in-law, he said, the chicken was a side dish. And, they have, and, they, and the two of them, they ate small. But when they, whenever they had the kids over, they had guests, chicken was a side dish. There was usually three types of meat on the table. 
in about six or seven different side dishes. It was crazy. So the, when I first got married, you know, she would serve, I would eat. She'd come out after you finished serving, you're not eating anything. I already had this gigantic meal already. I can't eat anymore. So I thought that her, her simplest yantavan, her Enoch Shabbos, was watching me eat. So I would wait till she came out. Ah, Baruch Hashem, you're enjoying the food. So I ate. I had to wait a little bit, you know, but I ate and she enjoyed the fact that I'm eating and everybody was very happy. But you can't do that to her. And there's all these little life lessons along the way, different things. He, he, was a, he had a tremendous work ethic. He, 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 he retired from the government. Um, at the age of 71 or 72 by the time, if you don't retire then it ends up working against you financially there's an incentive to, to retire so his retirement was like a very long retirement he stopped working in the government on Friday he started his new job on Monday that was his retirement Shabbos and Sunday um, he, he, he was a patent lawyer he was a patent examiner for the government he, was a, he had a degree in law he was, he, he was, he was a patent lawyer and um, he finished his last case. He was 91 years old. He stopped working. He said that he doesn't feel he has the strength to give the client the effort that they really deserve for the money they're paying. And I, therefore, I'm not going not to work anymore. He, he wanted to work further, but it's not fair to the, the client. They are the guys. He was a happy person. He had a sense of humor. Those of you who knew him, you know, he always had a joke. Um, he loved getting to know people, but getting to know people meant get to know you. The same way he learned more, he, learned, he mm-hmm. got to know you. He would sit and talk to you about you. Some people didn't enjoy that necessarily because sometimes they didn't want to talk about themselves really in their kishkas. So he would ask you questions in your kishkas. So why did you make that decision? Why did you do this way? Don't you think that it might have been better? It's a possibility. Did you contemplate that? Why not? What's motivating you? You know, he would do that to people. So some people enjoy that very much because it really enlightened them. Some people would run like, you know, my wife said that a lot of her friends used to leave him in tears because they would get a little bit too intense sometimes. But he could do it, he would do the same thing with five-year-olds. He would, get down, he would get down on their level and talk to them. He could connect to them. The adults who was with adults and he would get to know every one of the kids because he wanted to get to know you. He wanted to know you. So when he wanted to know the he wanted to know you. He loved teaching. He loved explaining. He was in the hospital that they, a few weeks ago. The nurses came in to check to see how his mind is doing. He says, you know, we want to ask you some questions. He says, whatever, whatever topic you want to ask, you want to ask. It's okay. They want to know, like you know, what day it is. You know, so he's saying they want to talk about about something in history, something in philosophy. You know, and he started explaining them. He says, you know, it's a question I'm just thinking about. This famous question: whether Lincoln really freed the slaves. You read the the Emancipation Proclamation doesn't really say that he freed the slaves. He says that the South should free the slaves. You know, and he started giving a whole ten minute discourse about whether they freed the slaves or not. And the nurses were like loving this. It's fascinating. But Mr. Rosen, what year is it? So he was close. He said 1920. It was 2019, 1920. Close enough, right? Um, uh, so he didn't do so well in that part of the of the, of the test. Um, the it was a person who was growing every day of his life. Now he was he was offered a medal from the United from the government for his whatever bravery, whatever he had during the different battles. And he thought about it for a long time. He says, "I'm not taking the medal." He says, my years, those years, I was rough and tumble with other guys. I'm not proud of those years. I didn't think that really, I, just, I don't want to get, take them. I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to, in any way, look at those years as the years that are special. 
the years that are special, the years that I'm zaycha, to learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, being with a family. His old friends, and he, he used to get with his old. I mean, last few years he didn't get, get, didn't get with his old friends because most of them were no longer here. Um, but then he was in his eighties. They used to get together with some of the old old chavers that he knew from back way back when. There was one topic which was was off the table, was not discussed, and that was grandchildren. So he was after two, four children, thirty plus grandchildren, eighty plus great grandchildren. He ready was after to great great grandchild, and most of these people had two, three grandchildren, and most of them, and most of those were not Jewish from their houses in Potomac and their beautiful car. Yeah, when he would, would daven, once he stopped working, or when, even when he was working as a lawyer, he was working as, at council, which he didn't have to he didn't have hours. He worked in whatever hours he wanted to do. So he would after daven, he would sit. One time I asked him, "Daddy, why, why are you sitting after daven? What are you thinking about?" He says, "I'm thinking about all the, the brachas the Kodesh bestowed upon me in my life." So before I leave the, base, the shul every day, I want to think about that before I walk out. And he was very proud of what he was able to do, and he said a beautiful line Wednesday morning. Excuse me, but I'm going to get a little bit teary over here. But he knew he was going to be nifter that day. He knew. He knew. Um, we didn't believe him, but he was right as, as usual. Um, um, that morning, my brother-in-law went into him. He, he said, "You know that um, asked him to have with him." He was still. His mind was still clear. Um, he said, say be with me, I'm done. So he told the owner of the nursing home that today's the last day they'll be, they'll, they'll be together. And, uh, and he said, my brother says, you know, I'm not ashamed of what I've taken with me. But there was that years he was ashamed of. The years that he fought, etc. He says, well, he made the tshuva. He changed his life. He didn't let it define who he was because that's his year, earlier years. So that decision to change, because the Rav said, change his life. Because his son said, because a friend said, he let those things be pointers to make a direction in life. And now he can look back and say, you know, maybe there were times along the way where he wondered, like, you know, wow, this is the, the money was tight, it was very tight, and uh, and he was involved in, he was on the board of the Hebrew Academy, he was on the board of the yeshiva. My, my uncle Lazar's daughter was the first class, was in the first class of the yeshiva. They started with a girls' class. Their brother was the first boys' class, which was the following year. Mm-hmm. They were the they were part of the founding part of the yeshiva. And he worked hard. He worked hard. There was one point where he was when he was becoming a lawyer. He was going, working in far, as a pharmacist by day. He had a degree. degree he was a far, he was a certified pharmacist. He had a degree in pharmaceuticals. And he was going to law school at night. He was involved in these things. And, and there's no money with all of that. All that work, there was no money. And these guys, are, his friends, are living it up. He who laughs last, like the Mishnah. When they're younger, maybe you're not sure which 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 path was the right path. If you look back at the age of eighty, if you look back at the age of ninety, and you say the Zikna Moritz, the Daita Mitravis What did I do? I sent my kids to public school. Look what I got. I got going for eight o'clock. He gets happier and happier and more settled and more settled with that decisions that he made and the direction that his life went. For just moments, these, these, these ability to allow moments to define him 
and not be stuck and to be in growth, a growth mode. I, I, the the six-year-old Gemara story just is a mind-boggling thing to me that, that a person of his caliber of learning and his intelligence and the fact that he loved discussing things and we had to sit there mute because he didn't follow what was going on and he would do this week after week and feel foolish and feel like inadequate at the age of 60. What do I need this for? I'm going to master this. At the age of 60, he started learning Gemara. And uh, remember, he was learning Yavamas. He was trying to understand the concept of Zika. So he discussed it with my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law. Discussed it with me. Discussed it with all of the grandchildren who are holding the caliber. They're already the older in yeshivas. Didn't like the side. Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Finally, he discussed it with my son Lazar. He says, Ellie he called me up. Lazar gave me a Taichin Zika, which I, can, I, I, I understand. He asked the question about 25 times. He's holding the dragon to understand what Zika is. Rabbi Sai, what is Zika? Like, you know, he's a Tzimur Rabbanon. I wouldn't call it Tamachach, but Tzimur Rabbanon. He's a Chadriya person who's handling Zika right? at the age of 85. It's a mind boggling mind boggling life story. And he was like, I was there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He was there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He was still. His mind was, you know, was, he said one, one, one phrase which he was putting together two stories in his life and stuck me into one of his stories. It wasn't, that wasn't direct. He recognized me by my, my first name, last name, introduced me to his aide. Derek Harris introduced somebody, told me, that, told me that I love you. They told me I love him too. Then he says, I'm not talking anymore. And that was it. Those were the last words that he said. He decided it's time to go. Does he come to Kodesh Baruch Hu with a lifetime that he was proud of? Excuse me, I'm sorry. And it was time to move on. So he made a decision. He acted upon it. He's a Kodesh Baruch Hu.